How many of you have encountered the miraculous, maybe not first degree, but second degree, in the last six months? So our gardener, totally blind in his eye, healed. Okay? Through another ministry, but it was healed. A friend of ours moved from London to Zim to go and help restore Zimbabwe. He sends a voice message. This man came to his gate, um, terribly sick, and he prayed for him. And this guy was totally healed. He had, what is it, TB. Totally healed of TB. We are one or two degrees away from the miraculous every day. Why am I saying this? Why am I saying this? Because God knew that I would be sharing this today back in December. Go figure. Go figure. Sundays are miraculous. God's in, God's in, God's in control. <laughs> and it's very exciting. In charge is what I was trying to say. How many of you have been having more dreams and visions lately? Yeah. Lord, I just pray right now for your glory cloud to just intensify in this place. I thank you for the worship that took us right into your throne room. Lord, we just pray for your anointing to just grow and grow as I share this message, Father. Lord, I pray that you would unlock your patterns for people to see. Lord, I pray that the download you gave me would become the download for LifeHouse, that there would be a revelation, Father, a revelation of your ways of doing things, Father. In Jesus' name. I just have to do this, sorry. Lord, I just, I just see that Louise desires to see into the spirit realm. And Lord, I pray that you open her eyes right now to see, to see in Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray that she would see into the spirit realm. That she would see wonders, wonders, your wonders, the wonders of heaven, of your kingdom. Lord, open her spiritual eyes to see. Open her spiritual eyes to see in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, I promise the Lord I'm going to do what he tells me to do. So, so this morning I want to share the spiritual principles which I discovered that I believe will unlock something for Lifehouse. There's a heavenly pattern that the Lord is shining his light on for this season. I felt the Lord say to me that the purpose of this message is to unlock and release the improbable, the unfeasible, Victories into the people of the life, of, into the people of Lifehouse. The underlying prophetic message this morning is that it's going to be a season. We are in a season where the unfeasible, the unlikely, the improbable will happen. My prayer is that you listen with your ears and with your heart this morning. That you would have the spiritual download. So we're going back to Gideon, Judges eight. How do I work this thing? It's a small screen. I've got lots of scripture, but the slides are just scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, turn, in, turn to Judges 8. And we're going to read from verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson. 
because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring in from his plunder onto it. I walk a lot, sorry. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian on the chains that were on the camel's necks. Verse 27 says, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Gideon's death. Uh, doesn't work. Verse uh, 28, here we go. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. Jeroboam, that means the one who destroys Baal, son of Joash, that's Gideon, went back home to live. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine who lived in Sheshem also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Oprah. Verse 33, no sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Baruth as their god and did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam. So the first thing I want to show you is that Gideon really wanted to be king, even though he said he didn't. Gideon believed the lie. Who noticed the lie in the first verse 22? Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us. And at that moment, Gideon should have said, no, it wasn't me, it was God. But he said, oh, yeah, I saved you. The mighty hand of Gideon saved you. And he believed the lie. But then he said, he had the good sense to say, we don't want to rule over you. But it wasn't that true. So then after he believes the lie that it was his victory, he then says, you know what? It will be great if you just throw one ring. That's not a lot. Just one ring. Now, it was the custom of that time for the king to take the spoils of war. He wanted to be king. So now he's taking credit for the victory. He's saying, I was your king. Give me some of the spoils. So here he takes prematurely a share of the spoils for himself. It comes out of his own selfish ambition. It was a sign to all of Israel that Gideon, the weakest and the least from the tribe of Manasseh, was now the greatest. He knew in his head that he was not meant to be king. But in his heart he felt otherwise, and he could not help himself from behaving like a king and putting up in lights the great exploits of Gideon and God. Verse 30 explains he had 70 sons by as many wives. It takes a lot of money and patience. <laughs> now, having many wives was something that God looked down upon. And it was only acceptable for the royalty. Again, he wanted to be king. He behaved like a king. Avimelech means 
the father is king. It's a regal title. Now, that wasn't the name of that. That boy was a son born to Gideon by his concubine. And the Bible doesn't give us his real name. Avimelech was a title that Gideon gave to his son. So again, we see Gideon wants to serve out his time in a very kingly manner. Okay. Then I want to look at how much gold, 1,700 shekels of gold. It's 20 kilograms of gold. At 600,000 rands per kilogram is how much, Kieran? 12 million rand. Okay? It's, it's actually not that much money. Maybe for you and I it is. But for the whole nation to fall back into bondage and back into slavery for the price of 12 million rand. That's crazy. It's crazy. One little ring each, and they all flip into bondage. And here's the, the really scary one. False worship, idol worship. He didn't make a statue of Gideon. Did I? That would have been way too obvious. <laughs> no, he goes and he takes the ephod, which was the breastplate that the priests wore, into the Holy of Holies, and he makes it out of pure gold. He makes it better than God's original design because God's original design wasn't just pure gold. He puts it up and they come and Israel prostitute themselves and they worship this gold ephod that's made from the spoils of victory that God gave them. So this gold ephod symbolizes... Not the victory of God. It symbolizes the victory of Gideon. It becomes an idol. It becomes a thing of worship. And instead of the authentic ephod being worn by the priest into the Holy of Holies and God being worshipped, here the people worship the ephod. And guess what? I suspect someone wore the ephod. And I wonder, did Gideon wear it? Did he put himself in that place? I don't know. You see, when God deals with the idols in our lives, and, and Gary spoke to this a lot when he did the series on Gideons, he requires us to destroy them. Because if we replace those idols with better looking or less obvious or, or more legitimate idols, we create a worse stumbling block and set up a greater downfall that takes us down and the next generation. When God deals with the idols in your life, they need to be replaced with true worship of God. Not the false ephod. The ephod that Gideon built was fake worship, the antithesis to God's true intention, which was the worship of him. On one level, where you prioritize your time above God represents idols. But a much worse level is where you go on a journey with the Lord. You destroy idols. You come into a place of victory, and then you take the spoils of that victory and you create an idol that takes you back to where you were, but actually in a much worse place. And that will sabotage you, your family, your community, and potentially your nation. It's one of the schemes of the enemy to render the church powerless. You see, we, we, we're so focused on the battle, and we're so focused on the victory, I won! But that's not the end game. It's not the end game. And I'm going to show you what the end game is in a moment. So let's use someone who got it right. 
Abraham. Abram. There's lots of scripture. Bear with me. It's a good thing to go through scripture. Genesis 14 verse 17. I'll read it to you. because I know it's a bit small on the screen. After Abram returned from defeating K, he's the guy who stole Lot and all the people of Sodom. And the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. Then Melchizedek, king of Sodom, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. So here... Abraham takes the spoils of victory. He went and won the battle. The custom of the time is the spoils go to the king. And he gives them to Melchizedek, who's priest of God Most High. So he doesn't keep the spoils. Then the king of Sodom comes and says, you've done me this great thing. You rescued my whole town, my village. You have the goods, just give me the people so I can continue to be king. And Abraham says, no, no, no. I don't want you to take any credit for the blessings and victories that God's going to give to me. So he gives the king of Sodom everything. And then he says, just let my men have their share. I, I think Abraham took nothing out of that. Because if you read it in context, it says, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. I think Abraham gave everything. Out of that spoil, that victory, he gave all the spoils because he knew God was his supplier. Now, if you look at what happens immediately after Genesis chapter 14, Abraham goes and builds an altar. He comes and he worships the Lord. And what happens? God comes down and says, I want to make a covenant with you. I want, I want you to be my representation on earth and my lineage is going to come through you. Nations will be blessed after you. That's the promise of Isaac. So here we have Abraham. He takes the spoils of victory. He gives them to the Lord. And the Lord comes and meets him and makes covenant and promises him what? The expansion of God's kingdom from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Different decision, different outcome. Right, I'm cantering through Scripture quite fast. Welcome. Someone, God's got your number. Okay, let's look at the Israelites. So this is uh, Exodus 12, for those of you who are really nimble in your Bibles. Verse 33. The Egyptians urged the people, so just for context, they've had the plagues, Pharaoh is sick of them. Get out of my country. Okay, that's where we are. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So all the firstborns have just died. 
So the people, that's the Israelites, took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Okay? What's all that about, Anthony? You see, in the context of the Israelites, the plagues were the great battle. Then there was the exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea, and that was the great victory. But the spoils they took with them from the Egyptians, those spoils were compensation for wages. They were slaves. They hadn't been paid for years. So, so, so God goes and says, I'm going to pay you for the work you did. And then there was a liberation premium thrown on top. So the Israelites walked out of Egypt wealthy, but why? Why? There's a greater assignment. So now if you go to Exodus 35, you see why. Let's look at verse 4. So Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, Take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and goat hair, and the list goes on and on. In chapter 36, verse 6, then Moses comes out and says, Then Moses gave an order, and they sent word throughout the camp, No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because they, what they already had was more than enough to do the work. So where did the Israelites get that wealth from for that offering? From Egypt when they left. They plundered the Egyptians. So that victory, that was the spoil of victory. The Lord gave them that, those spoils to do what? To use to build his tabernacle. Now the the Israelites nearly got it horribly wrong at the Ten Commandments when they took those spoils and guess what? They built a golden calf. And we'll come back to that just now. Everyone following me? Okay, I'm going relatively quickly. Okay, now the best example of all is King David. So it's 2 Samuel 8 from verse 11. In the course of time, and I've, I've kind of tweaked the scripture here, otherwise it's too long. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. David also defeated the Moabites. David defeated Hadadezer, king of Zobah. David captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Verse 5, when the Arameans came to help king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 of them. Verse 6 carries on, and then it says, The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Verse 7, David took the gold shields that belonged to the officers of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Then verse 8, it says, From Tebak and Beratai, towns that belonged to Hadadezer, King David took a great quantity of bronze. Verse 9, When Taud, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadezer, 
He sent his son, Jerome, to King David to congratulate him on his victory. And Jerome brought him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. The most important part of this passage of Scripture is in the course of time. So you see David's having victory after victory after victory. Why? Why? David was taking what Joshua started and he was finishing it. So you see Joshua and the guys got lazy and they decided not to establish the boundaries of Israel. And they decided to live with the foreigners instead of killing them like God said. So in my Bible it says, it was a footnote, it said, Since David had earlier crushed the Amalekites, his wars completed the conquest begun by Joshua and David secured all the borders of Israel. So here David's taking victory after victory after victory and he's establishing the borders of the promised land where God's people are meant to live. Okay, but there's another purpose. Let's have a good look on the next slide. David's victories. Now, I'm flashed up in the course of time, so we can see. Verse 11, it says, King David dedicated these articles to the Lord as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations he had subdued. He also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So here's the pattern. King David goes and fights a battle. There's a victory. There's spoils of victory. He dedicates them to the Lord and he worships the Lord. Then there's another battle. There's another borderline to secure. He goes and he fights the battle. He wins the battle. He takes the spoils of victory. He dedicates him to the Lord and he worships. And he does this time after time after time. And that's why David's victorious. And now we see what happens. What is the crescendo of David's life? He's built up this pattern over time, and we see it in Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, the great gift. And I've quoted from the message here, verses 1 to 5. Then David the king addressed the congregation. My son, my son Solomon was singled out and chosen by God to do this. So this is just before David dies, and King Solomon is going to build the temple. Okay, that's where we are. But he's young and he's untested, and the work is huge. This temple is not just a place for people to meet each other, but a house for God to meet us. I've done my best, this is David speaking, to get everything together for building this house for my God. All the materials necessary, gold, silver, bronze, iron, lumber, precious and very colored stones, and building stones, vast stockpiles. Furthermore, because my heart is in this, in addition to and beyond what I have gathered, I'm turning over my personal fortune of gold and silver for making this place of worship for my God. And the people were full of a sense of celebration, all that giving and all giving willingly, freely. King David was exuberant. That wasn't up there. So there's the purpose. King David fights, victory, spoils of victory, dedicate to the Lord. Why? To establish God's kingdom. First he had to secure the borders. They couldn't build the temple of God until the borders were established. They needed to inhabit the full promised land. Once they had the full promised land, David was fighting all these victories. All of those spoils were there to build God's temple. They were there to establish God's kingdom. 
You see, we get focused on the victory, the battle, the victory. Look what I got. And God's saying, no, the spoils are there to expand my kingdom. I've given you victory. The spoils of victory are there, but they are to expand my kingdom, to establish my temple. Why? So we can worship God. That is the purpose. And I'm not saying to you that you need to turn over your entire fortune to the Lord. This was a lifetime journey for David. He, he fought many victories. This became a pattern in his life. He, he knew how to fight. He knew how to win. He knew how to take the victories and give them to the Lord. And with each battle, there was a test every time. All right. So I'm going to try and bring it, bring it together. I can't speak today. What's going on? Okay. So I've tried to unpack it so that you can see the pattern because you can apply it to your own life. So if we go back to the beginning of Gideon, he hears the word of the Lord. We all agree he heard the word of the Lord. He destroys idols amazingly. He cuts down the Asherah pole. He destroys Baal. There's a great victory and then there are the spoils of victory. Okay. What comes after the spoils of victory? Any ideas? I don't have chocolates like here. Should have chocolates. A decision. Every time David fought and he got spoils of victory, he had to make a decision. Every single time. And that decision, we've got two things to decide. Do we dedicate it to self or do we dedicate it to the Lord? And this lines up with exactly what Gary was preaching last week. What's our most important thing? Is it selfishness, me, or is it the soul realm? Is it my relationship with the Lord? Now, I need two chairs quickly. I want to show you. Okay. Can I walk up and down here? Yeah. Okay, so this, for those who can't see, I don't know if that's going to work, is the Ten Commandments written in Hebrew on papyrus paper from my trip to Egypt that I did when I was a youngster. This is my teddy bear when I was a little boy. And this is a crown. Okay. Right. So we have a decision to make. Do we dedicate the spoils of victory to the Lord? Or do we go down the selfish route? Let's unpack it some more. So if we dedicate it to self. Oh. This is my little idol. It doesn't look like an idol, does it? It's cute. It's comfortable. It's cozy. It's innocent. But look, I put a crown on its head. Because if I put it on my head, it should be way too obvious that it's my idol. Look. Do you like my teddy? So when I choose to take the spoils of victory and create a, a crown and put it on whatever it is in my life, on my head, guess what happens? I forget the Lord. 
What happens next? I've created a new idol. And I spend time with this idol. It's for my comfort. It makes me look good. Look at this crown. My battle, my victory. I melted the gold, my crown. What happens? This is false worship. I forget the Lord and now I worship something else. And then what do I do? I set myself up to bondage and destruction. And guess what else happens? What, when the Israelites were in this place, the boundaries that God had preordained for them were challenged. The enemies would come in and destroy the boundary lines. You see in Gideon, they're hiding in the caves. The boundary lines are not respected because of this false worship. There's no hedge of protection. It's gone. And I find myself living in fear and looking after my own and can't hear God, but I love this little guy. And my boundaries are being eroded and things are being taken away, but I love this guy. This is the world of self and the crown's breaking. It's a good thing. Okay. becomes a perpetual cycle. On the other side, we take the spoils of victory. I have my victory. And, and a lot of Christians get stuck here. I was victorious. God came through for me. And you get stuck here. And you don't go anywhere. But God says, here's the spoils of victory. Whatever they are, dedicate them to the Lord. Worship the Lord. And guess what happens? The boundaries get established. The boundaries for your life, the boundaries for this community, Lifehouse, the boundaries for our inheritance get established. And guess what? Then the kingdom can expand. That's the true purpose of the spoils of victory. What's happening? Can you help me in? There you go. So now we're getting to a cycle where as the kingdom expands, we hear the word of the Lord, we destroy more idols, and the kingdom expands. But every time, we've got to go along the top back to the spoils of victory. What am I going to do with them? Every time there's a decision. Every time there's a decision. That decision never goes away. Okay. Ian, help me out. But there is a place here that's quite dangerous. You get comfortable. God's victorious. He's on my side. I've won my battles. Look how pleasant and green my pastures are. Look what the Lord has done for me. Oh, wow. Sure. Yeah, actually, I was part of that. That was a great idea. That was my great idea. And you start to forget the Lord. And then slowly, you don't realize it, but you forget the Lord because you are putting yourself you in the place of taking credit for what God has done. And as you do that, you slowly, quickly forget the Lord and you're back in this camp. Deuteronomy 8 speaks about this. Do not forget the Lord. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, 
and all you have is multiply, then what? Your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify, you, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. So every day we face this, what am I going to do with spoils of victory? And let me not forget the Lord. Every day. Every day. So there it is on one page. You see, in the this, in this self-cycle... What is at the heart of this? It's me. It's pride. It's the very thing that took Lucifer down. It's this pride. I stand before God and I say, I was part of that. I was part of my success. In the very heart of this side is humility. It starts with humility. Where we say, Lord, it's all, your, it's all you, it's not me. So what were the true purpose, or what are the true purposes of the spoils of victory? Three things. Number one, it's called that decision. To test your heart. It's your choice. Which way will you go? Left or right? The second true purpose of the spoils of victory is to worship God. All the credit is His. And by definition, that rids us of all idols. But the primary purpose of the spoils of victory in our lives is to establish and expand God's kingdom. So now I need to ask you, where are you? Where are you? When, when Gary started the Gideon series, he said, where are you? Where are you? Are you here? Is this you? Are you here loving the victory, but you just can't go? Or are you here worshiping the Lord? Where are you? Lord, I just pray that you speak into people's hearts right now. Lord, show them. Show everyone where they are. Right now, it may be different situations in your life. You're at different places. You see, the way we handle the spoils of victory directly influences and determines the next phase, the next, cha the next chapter, and even the next generation. You see, we're in a season, Paul referred to it as the sardine can, right? We're in the sardine can here. But they're victories that we need to go through to produce the spoils to build whatever we need to build. 
And it's not, a, it's not an Anthony moment. It's not a Gary moment. It's not a Steve moment. It's a community moment. You see, when the guys came and gave to the Ark of the Tabernacle, it was everyone who was willing and able. When the guys came to give to the temple, everyone gave and they had to turn them away. It's a community moment. Now, if I can't have faith for, for Steve to have victory, we need his victory. We need the spoils of victory that God's got in Steve's life so that we can move into the next season. Because the victories are there to provide the spoils to build God's kingdom, to expand his kingdom. You see, if we take the victories and we aim them at our pleasures and our comforts, when in actual fact that victory belongs to God, we miss it. Now those spoils of victory can advance us into, can advance the next generation into the promises, the inheritance and the promised land, or they can set them back. It's our choice. Man's modus operandi, the world system, is to take the spoils of victory and keep them for a rainy day. Or put them up as a memorial of man's achievement. And what does that do? It leads to pride, inaction, it limits the power of God, the impact of the victory fades, and it becomes an impediment for you, your family, the next generation, and the nation. Do you know what's fascinating to me? If you go read 1 Kings 12 verse 28, at that point Solomon's built the temple, Solomon dies, and now his son comes in. And the son decides, actually, the temple's too far away for the people to get to. So what does he do? He builds two golden calves and says, go worship those instead. Israel goes right back into that cycle that they started in Sinai. So these spoils of victory are community moments. All of Israel plundered the Egyptians. All of Abraham's men got their share. And all of David's army got their share of the spoils of war. King David gave generously, but it was not enough for the temple. It took the whole community to build the ark and the temple. It takes a whole community to establish God's boundaries and to build his temple. They are godly principles. These are things that God's ordained. And this is how they work. These are ancient paths. What I've said up there, it's a pattern. I've shown you. You can't build the temple first if you haven't established the boundaries. Okay? When you establish the boundaries, the victories create the provision for the building. And guess what? When the temple's built, what happened? The whole world came to Israel to see Yes, it was the glory of Solomon, but the glory of Solomon was the temple of God. Now, Solomon missed it because he spent 13 years building his palace and seven years building God's temple. So he got it a bit wrong. But at the end of the day, when the splendor of God's kingdom is established, you will see the world come to witness and see what God's doing. And then they take it out, and God's kingdom is expanded. That's the purpose. So let's go back to where I started. I felt the Lord say, this is the year of the unfeasible being made feasible. This is the year where the impossible is made possible. This is the year where the unlikely becomes likely. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? 
The end game is not the victory. The end game is not the spoils of victory. It's part of the process. It's the journey. The end game is the worship of God, putting in place the God-ordained boundaries and the expansion of His kingdom. Our focus is not the battle. It's not the victory. It's the worship of God and the expansion of His kingdom, which follows. So what do you see when you look at your life? Ian, help me. Do you see impossible? What do you believe? Eh? It must have pointed that way. Is that why it's not working? No one told me. Or do you believe it's the impossible is not true for you? With I am, it is possible. So every time you see impossible, I want you to see I am, so it's possible. I am, so it's possible. Road, you want to just jump up there? Lord, we just thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, it's been a true word, but Lord, that it would just gently soak into people's hearts. Lord, I pray for freedom. I pray that, Lord, people would see the I am and know that the possible is possible. The impossible is possible. I want you to just focus on the Lord. And I'm ask you some questions right now. And I just want you to tune in to the Holy Spirit. Just hear what the Holy Spirit's saying. And then we're going to just take it from there. Will you dare to believe that the Lord will fund this next season through this community? Will you dare to believe that there is a victory in waiting for the person next to you? Will you dare to believe that? And will you dare to believe that there is a victory for you? Now I'm going to pause there. If you can't, if you're saying, Lord, I, I just don't see how I can get victory. Just engage with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. if you can believe that there is victory for you and that there's victory for this community and that the spoils of victory are there I don't know if you're there then let's move you to the decision point picture yourself in the place with the spoils of victory whatever it is whatever victory the Lord's showing you Whatever you're feeling in your heart, whatever those spoils are, see the spoils of victory in your hand. Whatever they may be, I ask you now, will you dedicate them to the Lord?
Will you worship the Lord with them and see His kingdom expand and advance? This is between you and the Lord. I'm not asking you to raise hands or do anything. This is between you and the Lord. Lord, I pray that as a community, we would believe and have faith that you have victory for us, Lord. But that would not be our focus. Lord, let us focus on you and your kingdom. Lord, I pray that in people's hearts today, you seal in their hearts that victory is theirs. That there will even be spoils of victory. And Lord, I pray that as they go through their lives, that you will shine on the decision moments, those decision points where they've got to decide which way do I go, left or right? Do I dedicate this to the Lord or not? Lord, I just pray that you start to, as a community, shine on those moments and let us come before you and dedicate them to you, Lord. In whatever way you tell us, however you tell us, we just dedicate them to you, Father.